Welcome to Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders, technology leaders in higher education, and most importantly, students. To chat on hot topics, share solutions, collaborate, and envision the future of higher education together. Let's illuminate higher education once and for all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Illuminate Higher Education. I'm Diana Chen, and I'm here with your host, Kieran Kodathala. And today we've got Drew Schantz back with us. You'll remember Drew from our last episode. If you didn't listen to that yet, make sure you do that first so you can get a little intro and uh, understand Drew's background a little bit more. But today we're going to bring Drew back and we want to talk a little bit more about how some of those um, K-12 learnings that we discussed in the last episode can apply to higher education. Welcome back, Drew. And hey, Kieran. Hey, Dana. Hey, Drew. Welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, so why don't we just kick off the conversation uh, where we left off last time with some of the learnings that um, that you shared, Drew, from your experience in K-12 education. How would you apply some of that customized learning that you've learned and you're using in your day-to-day work with K-12? How would you apply that to higher ed? It's a big question because um, K-12 is a big beast, um, and, and higher ed is a big beast as well. I think, first of all, to, to kind of frame the conversation just the way that I'm, the context in which I'm thinking about higher ed is kind of beyond the the traditional or or stereotypical or common track of going from high school directly to a four-year college or university. When I think of higher ed, I'm thinking of kind of post-secondary more in general. Um, so what are those opportunities that students can students can pursue in life beyond high school that are going to be best suited to their specific needs. Um, this kind of goes back to some of the t- uh, some of the talking points we had in the last episode around personalization and really understanding students at a more holistic level to determine what makes sense for them in the future um, as, the, as it aligns to their skills and their goals and their ambitions for what they want to do for themselves. Um, so I think how we need to be thinking about higher education is not just, are you going to go to college? Are you not? Um, but but what are those pathways? What viable pathways could you pursue in order to add value to your life and the lives of others? So is that going into the military? Is that pursuing a, a two-year community college first? Is it um, going into an apprenticeship program? Is it a, a boot camp or an alt cert program um, to, to upskill yourself in a particular area? Um, is it going directly into the workforce? Um, either starting your own business through the entrepreneurial track or maybe continuing on a business that already exists, perhaps in a family or, or otherwise, um, or, um, or that college or university track. So I think there's, there's just a number of different considerations we need to make as it relates to higher education in more of a broader sense of post-secondary learning. Yeah, well, I think there's a, like, there's a lot of opportunities definitely in higher ed uh, when, um, when compared to K through 12 in that in K through 12, you're still, no matter what you do, you're still managed by the county boards or district boards or the state and federal regulations. However, in higher education, it does open up both uh, an opportunity and also a challenge. In, In higher ed, each institution has broad discretion with respect to how they implement the learning curriculum, 
how they manage the classroom instruction, and also how they can even almost award any degree. I don't think there's a real oversight um, by the federal government beyond saying, you know, these are the number of credit hours you need to issue. So definitely, I think higher education offers us a lot more opportunity, right, where, where each institution can make their own decisions um, in terms of whether it's personalized learning or blended classrooms or flipped classrooms or even taking to um, more complex things like CBE uh, or project-based learning. But also it creates a challenge in that you still have to pursue this advisory services from a institution to institution perspective, but not just go to a county level and say, let's implement it at 15 school districts, right? So um, there's, Definitely an opportunity in that each institution can be customizable, but there's also a challenge on uh, going to 3,500 institutions instead of, I don't know, um, 250 school boards. So what do you see as, like, have you guys looked at higher education at all? Have you talked to some institutions looking at some of your innovative instructional and also learning pedagogy styles? I think during my, as as far as it relates to my perspective, we're, I'm myself and my colleagues are are kind of solely focused on the K-12 ed space, but that's not to say that we haven't had um, institutions in the post-secondary space also approach us and talk about how can we think about rethinking instruction here. Also companies as well. We, um, we recognize the value of learning at many different levels. So I think aspects of competency and learner-driven and personalized learning environments can be applicable in the classroom and outside of the classroom. So I think there, there is a lot to learn from, from the student-centered learning model because it really does put that student in the driver's seat and helps them to have more ownership and direction over their learning. Um, and it, I'm, I was just kind of reflecting and reacting to, to what you were sharing, sharing Kieran, about the, the level of autonomy that, that higher ed institutions really have to innovate within, within their their particular confines or or space and the the ease at which shifts like we're talking about like these student-centered learning shifts can happen within that space um, versus in in the k-12 space where there is a lot more oversight and regulation and um, compliance that that needs to be met so i think i think the higher ed space is ripe for change at least in the in at least how instruction is happening um, to be more student-centered and responsive to the needs of individual learners versus um, that one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah, one would think so, right? Because if you think about it, higher education has all the right uh, indicators. Uh, they definitely have better autonomy. They have a lot more resources in terms of uh, both financial resources and uh, non-financial resources. If you think about uh, how educational institutions operate, uh, the teacher to faculty to student ratio in higher education is a lot less when compared to uh, a student, um, student to teacher ratio in K through 12. So all the indicators are ripe and there's also extremely lot more money available uh, in, um, in higher education. However, I think there is some incentivization for higher education that gets in the way for them. In, if anything, I feel like sometimes higher education institutions look at some of the new learning styles as a as a detriment to their progress, because you know, in a lot of ways, they do get the thing that you talk about, whether it is credit hours or in higher education, we jokingly call it butts and seat, they get paid for that credit hour methodology. They get paid for the degree. They get paid for 
the things that are detrimental for student learning. For example, if a student ends up spending six years in educational institution instead of four years, higher education gets paid more. And I'm not certainly saying that um, they are transactional in that, but I think the business fundamentals of higher education might be preventing some of these innovations. But I think there's a you know, there's two places where I think, uh, I, as I just like you reflect on the future of learning and where the change uh, might come quicker uh, is three areas. And I think you already outlined one of them. One is the company uh, training where employers are wanting to train their employees and look at which employee is learning what and how quickly they're learning and uh, whether they've actually uh, completed their learning journey. I think that's number one. But I do think that the second and third are just as important, if not uh, more important, um, change leaders. One is the vocational schools, right, where the students are going to get a, a associate's degree in sewing or carpentry or, um, you know, whatever, um, welding, let's just put it like very simple techniques, things that have clear learning styles, clear pedagogy. They, uh, they are based on learning on a specific set of topics and progressing in those areas. And the second and third and probably the most important is community colleges, because I think like I, I, like I said before, four-year colleges look at some of the new year models as a detriment to their style, right? But for community and vocational schools, these are their only ways of truly influencing change. If a student is coming to a community college, they don't want the kid to spend, the student to spend three years instead of two years to get an associate's degree uh, because they don't make enough money uh, on students. And the same thing with vocational schools because their entire success is based on how quickly a student can get to the workforce. So what do you think of that, like, that idea to start with using project-based learning, competency-based education, and other outcome-based learning methodologies at vocational and community schools? Community school? Yeah, well, I think that's where, that's kind of where this all originated, right? The, the outcomes-based learning is, is in that technical school field that the community college space to the points that you raise, right? And and that's kind of, it's kind of trickled down to the K-12 ed space. And now it's, I think there's an opportunity to kind of trickle back up. I, I think a student-centered learning approach or student-centered learning model is ultimately a part of that value proposition that that post-secondary institutions can can lead with. And there there is a lot of there's emerging competition in the post-secondary space, right? Like I listed out probably 10 different opportunities that students could pursue after high school. Whereas in the K-12 space, because that education is compulsory until you're until you're 18 in K-12, like you don't really have much competition. Obviously you have some some level of school choice, but the fact that you are in school at all is is not negotiable. You you have to be learning. Um, but in in the higher ed space, there you don't have to be there. Um, you're there because you want a particular outcome. So as a learner, I'm I'm probably more I'm proactively looking for that opportunity that's going to give me what I want for the for the value that I want to derive from that experience. So I think to the degree that that institutions of higher learning can start to adapt these student-centered principles, that's going to help them to honestly stay relevant and stay stay nimble and stay alive in this time when we're we're asking a lot of questions about you know, is a four-year college degree really worth it? 
can I gain these skills in a more affordable manner and still get to that outcome that I want to get to? A company like Google saying like making declarations that they're not looking at college transcripts in the same way anymore and doing a lot of upskilling within their company to give uh, give employees the skills that they need to be successful. That should have um, institutions of higher learning you know, that should that should scare them a little bit because yeah. they're becoming less relevant, and and they need to think about how can we how can we continue to add value to the student experience. And I think a more student centered approach is is certainly one way to do that. Yeah, I think so. I think the the real change for higher education, um, especially when it comes to like learning styles or the way the degree is offered or the way that a student is completing their journey. I don't like as much as I want to be excited and be progressive about the change in department of education. I think the real change will come when the real consumers of education, which is either the student, but most importantly, employers change their methodology and say, you know what, we don't value a degree from a four year college uh, higher than a degree out of a community college or vocational school anymore. In fact, we probably value community college uh, degree just as much or more than a four-year college because they are more skills-driven, they're more competency-based, they're more education-based. Um, and I think that will change it. I think when employers make real shifts in that direction and say, we don't care about a four-year degree, we just need you to demonstrate that you actually have a experience that uh, matches up to a four-year degree, and that is when institutions truly worry about like what my degree is truly worth. Um, because ultimately, when you ask every, every student that goes to post-secondary education, they are doing it with an explicit outcome that when I, the only way I can get a job, job is if I do this, right? But if we say, you know, no, we can actually, you can actually get a job by learning these skills from multiple places and consolidating this into a degree type structure that doesn't need a stamp of another institution. It can be just a comp compilation of learning skills. That's when you know education institutions will really start looking at project-based learning or competency-based education learning as the true game changers. Do you agree or am I off mark there? No, I think you're totally right. And, and that's kind of making me think of just the the stigma around a college-bound culture that we instill in students right from the very beginning of their educational experience in preschool sometimes. You see in charter networks especially just this college or nothing mentality. And, and I totally get the merits of that, specifically for students who come from underrepresented populations. College is a great vehicle to kind of progress on that track towards upward mobility. And college can be a game changer for a number of different students. But students also have to understand that college is, is not the only gateway to a successful life. I mean, the challenges are coming at a, a number of different angles, right? So there's this expectation for, for all students to go to college, regardless of whether they should or not. Um, there's an expectation from colleges that if you if you're going to if you're going to enroll in my institution, you need to have these standardized test scores. You need to, uh, you know, have a certain number of AP classes. You need to do community service. You need to pay this amount of money. So there's kind of pressure coming from that direction. There's pressure coming from the workforce, as as we talked about a little bit. That's changing, but I, I'm just kind of processing right now the the number of different 
pressure points and kind of angles at which students are being misled, I guess, in terms of what's possible in their future. And the full onslaught of opportunities are not really exposed to them until oftentimes it's too late. Um, I mean, I think back to my own uh, undergrad career, for example, and in hindsight, did I really, what did I learn there? I I don't know. I learned how to, it was mostly uh, in terms of academics. I mean, I took a, I took a class on Czech cinema because I had to, uh, I had to fulfill a certain requirement. Do I, can I tell you anything about the Czech new wave right now? (laughs) No, but what I did learn was uh, with things in, in extracurricular opportunities, for example. So, so leadership positions, I was able to, to be a part of the relationships that I was able to build, the ideas that I was able to kind of have the space to think about and execute on. Right. I, I, it was, it was certainly an expensive way to do that and to, to learn some of the things that the non-classroom lessons that I learned. But the reason that I pursued that, that four-year degree was that I was told by everyone around me that I had to, whether it was explicit or not. Um, could I have, could I be doing what I do right now without some of those higher education experiences? Probably. Um, but the fact that I have these letters after my name on my email signature or these pieces of paper hanging on my wall, um, like for, for better or for worse, that has helped me to get me to where I am because society has told me that that's what they value. Right. But I think that that is what we need to change. Right. I think if we so there's two multiple layers to peel in what you're saying. And I want to focus my attention on things that are truly action oriented Um, because one. But let's kind of peel it, peel it in. Right. The big issue that um, uh, that we have is the fact that we have a society that basically says you have to get a college degree. And actually, I think there is some certain value in that when a student completes their high school, I don't believe that they are ready to enter a job stream. I think um, there is some value in putting them into a incubation period that will enter them from a teenager to an adulthood. I love the college experience. I wouldn't trade that for the world. I, I agree. But let's kind of truly understand the consequence of it, right? The, the, the college graduation rate is less than 30%. So 70, 70 kids out of 100 kids that go into college fail, but they're not just, that's not a victimless crime. 70 of these kids actually carry anywhere from $15,000 of debt to $150,000 of debt. That debt cannot be erased. You cannot declare bankruptcy on it. You cannot, I think, I'm not sure that if there's any way to erase that debt unless like the Biden administration does something about it, but you know, the only way that debt can be raised is if for something happens to you, like if you pass pass away. Uh, and that's a big risk, right? So essentially 70 out of 100 kids are falling out of the college stream. And here's the worst impact of that in that they enter the lifelong learning and there is no way for them to earn that degree back. So the real opportunity for us after we get past the employer-based training, vocational schools and community schools is to think of lifelong learners and say, is there an opportunity for us to implement this at a lifelong learner level where a student can say, yeah, I got this associate's degree credits and I've done this 15 years of work at this 
whatever uh, place, uh, car dealership or a lathing shop or whatever, and how can I get credit for that? And there are concepts of, uh, and this is where the competence-based education or prior learning assessments uh, or maybe game-based learning will come in. But I think the real opportunity we have is about 70% of students that enter high school, enter college and never finish college because of whatever issues, and if we can figure out a way for them to get back into getting a degree, by not, but not by enrolling them in college, but giving them credit for their lifelong learning by using the tools like you described, whether it is project-based learning or competency-based education or game-based learning, then I think we have a true potential to change the environment. Do you agree? Um, what do you think of the lifelong learning as a true next phase of student transformation? I that I love that. I love everything about what you just said. And I think one of the one of the things that both K-12 and higher ed are are guilty of in in some senses is because of the fact that students aren't completing, because students are being moved through kind of on an assembly line and not having the time to actually truly master content and kind of just be shepherded along instead we're taking away that love for learning and that that ability for students to become lifelong learners because the learning institutions that they've been a part of have been slowly peeling away at, uh, at what that love for learning could be. So I love the idea of kind of zooming out and seeing like the world as our classroom, life as our learning experience and finding creative ways to, for lack of a better term, give credit for those non-traditional learning opportunities that are out there. Um, so, so how could technologies like like blockchain be be leveraged to capture and um, you know serve as that distributed ledger to capture learning experiences and create this learner profile for students as they progress through life? So when you know when you have a as a as a teenager, if you have a discrepancy among your friends and you're able to do some conflict mediation, like you should get credit for that. If you're working at um, at your at your parents restaurant and you need to make change like for 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 a $20 bill and someone gives you seven it's seven dollars and they give you 20 you need to make change you should get credit for that so there are all these little learning experiences that we don't give credit to learners for and I think there's some real opportunity to get creative in how we capture those moments and and celebrate that learning throughout the continuum of life I don't yeah. have the answer necessarily, but I think it's an exciting idea to pursue. Yeah, you, Drew, you're absolutely hitting the target here with respect to blockchains or prior um, prior learning ledger. There's a learn concept of learning ledger that's actually we've been discussing with several institutions uh, where I think uh, there's a real opportunity for ed elements to play a role here. Um, but you know, I think it's been an exciting conversation. Diana, what do you think? Uh, how does it uh, reflect with your consciousness? And I would love to hear your thoughts as well. I'm 100% on board with all of that. Uh, full disclosure, Drew and I went to college together. We were good friends in college. And so I, I would say I had a pretty similar experience in college. And I sort of have alluded to this in past episodes with you, Kieran. But for sure, like my biggest takeaways from college aren't the academics. Like I think that that sort of thing. I told you in the last episode with Matt, you know, I didn't really go to class in college, if I'm honest. Like that's just that's just not the way I learn. I learn a lot better if you give me a textbook and I sit in the library for an hour and read the textbook instead of 
sitting in a class for an hour where I'm distracted. My friends are there. We just want to, you know, talk about the kid with the tuna sandwich that's stinking up the whole room and <laughs> getting distracted by all these other things. So from an academic, purely academic standpoint, I don't think I'm somebody that needed to go to college. But from so many other standpoints, and this is where, you know, I always say, like, how do you calculate the ROI of a college education with factors like how do you put a monetary value to, you know, learning how to live on your own, learning how to go buy your own groceries, you know, learning how to uh, take leadership roles in extracurricular organizations. All of these things are intangibles that you, I don't think you can put a dollar value on but that I think are really crucial to the development of a human being into an adult that is, you know, a fully functioning adult that can contribute to society. I think all of these things. So, so yeah, I, I think definitely I don't have the answers either, but I think it's something that every high school student and every parent of every high school student should think very seriously about is whether this child specifically, this very unique human being, you know, who is unlike anybody else in this universe should go to a standard four-year institution for their post-secondary education or choose a different route. So I'm hundred percent on board with everything you said, Drew, this has been very enlightening. Really appreciate you being here for two episodes with us. I feel like we could keep chatting, but we've got to wrap up here. Uh, maybe we'll have you back again another time in the future, but thanks again for being here and tell people again where they can find you if they want to continue this conversation with you, or if they want to learn more about your company education elements. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. I, I agree. We could probably go on for a couple more hours. Um, but if you want to continue the conversation with me in particular or with uh, the folks at Ed Elements, you can find Ed Education Elements at Ed Elements on Twitter or edelements.com. You can find me at Drew Schantz, S-C-H-A-N-T-Z. Awesome. We'll include that in the show notes too to make it easier for people to click through. Thanks again so much for being here, Drew. Thank you listeners for tuning in and we will be back again soon with another episode of Illuminate Higher Education. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. You can learn more about Illuminate app at illuminateapp.com and continue the conversation with us there. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss further, please email them to us at podcast at n2nservices.com. That's podcast at n2nservices.com. Thank you.